Deep pattern, downfield, touchdown Miami. What a throw, Devontae Parker. Holy smokes, what a drive. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, it's a special edition of the Drive Time Podcast as we are crossing it over with the boys from the fish tank. We're going to talk Dolphins camp, the 2021 season, the latest from the fish tank, break down some wide receiver technique and film and analyst with juice and a whole lot more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And without wasting any more time, let's go ahead and welcome our guests into the podcast. You guys know who they are. They're here on the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network with the Fish Tank Podcast. You can dive in every single Tuesday. Just had the Damon Hewitt episode up. Let's go ahead and talk about that here in just one second. But first, let's welcome in Seth Levitt, OJ McDuffie. Boys, what's going on? Good to see you, Travis. I'm still kind of, you know, rubbing the the sleep out of my eyes. I think the last time we saw you, we were doing a post-game show at about night. So uh, it's good to be here with some sunshine out there. <laughs> no doubt about it, man. I mean, hey, but you know what's all good, though, is that when you get a win and you up that late, you know what I mean, and you get to go home and, and sleep well, Big Seth. Plenty of you know, time to sleep when your dad juice? That's plenty of time to sleep when you're dead, my brother. That's exactly right. I had an early morning because uh, my daughter gets me up early, and it's it's basically shotgun moment from there. The rest of the day is just through fast forward because I have to keep up with her. But it gets me going for the day. So here we are taping a podcast a little bit ahead of time. You guys are going to hear this podcast, I think, sometime the first week of September. We're taping it early. But I just finished up, guys, the Damon Heward episode of the Fish Tank podcast. And I have two, I don't want to call them beefs, maybe squabbles <laughs> I want to address here real quick. Let's do the one that actually is a little bit, you know, and I'm using air quotes, beefy in that regard. And I'm coming your way, Seth, and I'm going to play some audio here on the podcast because if you guys listen to the post-game show on WQAM, I had a segment talking about mopping up the field and how they get oh, the yeah. lines off the field at Soldier Field to translate to transform the field from football to soccer. Just play some audio here for you guys real quick. Here's Seth on the last oh, edition no. of the Fish Tank Podcast. That was my job. And we'll find out about that snap or two away in, in a minute here, Juice. <laughs> but I, I want to go back to this helping Danny get ready in this preparation because one of the things I will never forget is this routine that you and Lindo had in prepping the footballs before they changed <laughs> all those rules back there. But I, I saw things done to footballs that I didn't know were possible with dryers and cold tubs and hot tubs and all that. Talk a little bit about, you know, what, what you went through there. Yeah, Seth, my man. You uh-huh. are so excited for prepping footballs, but I can't yeah. get you to give a damn about mopping a field and cleaning the lines off, much less a preseason game. Defend yourself, my friend. Well, sure. I think this is pretty easy. I mean, again, preseason football, I think we've gone over that one plenty. And and I probably stop because I don't want to get anybody upset over there, Coach Flores or Stephen <laughs> Ross. But uh, when it comes to prepping footballs versus cleaning up the lines on the field, I mean, is there anything more important in the entire sport than the ball? It's called football, for crying out loud. So, yeah, the preparation of the football. We've seen arguably, the well, let's say the most decorated quarterback in the history of the game get suspended for football preparation or lack thereof. 
you know, the football is everything, Travis. So, yeah, I thought that fans would want to know how the football was prepped for who what I would say is the greatest pure passer to ever put on a helmet and shoulder pads. That, that's pretty fair. I, I don't really have a, a rebuttal to that because that makes perfect sense. But I do want to hear from OJ on the topic because, you know, Damon talked about it from a holder's perspective, but from a receiver's perspective, did that matter to you, OJ, that the quality of the football? Or was it just, you know, put the gloves on, catch that damn thing and shut up? Yeah, you know what? The gloves make a huge difference, Travis. They really do, man. I think that the ball company and the glove company kind of worked in cahoots <laughs> to make sure that, that that everything is tactified and works out well. So the most important part is the guy that's not wearing gloves, which is the QB. So that grip is so important, especially in inclement weather. You know, it might be rain here. It could be like a brick and cold up in Foxborough somewhere. So uh, that preparation is rather important. And those dudes took pride in it, my man. It was like a prideful job. And if it wasn't right, you're going to hear from one trade, you know. So <laughs> you, better, you better make sure you prep those balls correctly, bro. And they, they did a heck of a job, man. But for us, I mean, I think, like I said, the gloves right now, you, know, you see the catches. You saw Odell Beckham back yeah. in the day and all the, the gloves now are so good. They're so good now that, you know, if you drop a pass, you just can't catch it. I was going to say, you must be watching these crazy catches <laughs> that guys make where it's like over the over the palm, top of the hand, like pull the football down because that thing just sticks. You must be thinking like, man, I had to use my bare hands to make catches like that back in my day, at least as far as what the gloves brought to you. So you guys can check out the Fish Tank podcast with Seth and OJ, and the latest one was Damon Heward. Now, the second beef I have is no fault of either of you guys. You guys are completely out of this, right. but it's entirely deserved, so I'm not going to harp on it, but I do want to bring it up. Just have to air my grievances here because fight, fight, fight for Washington State, win the victory. He dogged <laughs> both my Washington State Cougars, go Cougs, and my Seattle Mariners. Now, the latter, that's okay. I'm fine with that. They're kind of an embarrassment. But you come at the alma mater juice. I know you're going to defend we are Penn State when someone calls them out, right? All the time. I mean, there's, there's, that's one of the biggest things that happens in locker rooms too, Travis, man. It's like, you know, your team can be your 21-point dog to Clemson one weekend. And, you know, when you're, when you're betting a, a, a teammate that went to Clemson, it won't give you any points. You know what I mean? You got it's a straight right up bet, even though it's like, you know, three touchdowns. How are you not going to give me any points here, bro? Because <laughs> that pride sets in, man. There's no there's no points when it comes to that pride in that locker room on Saturday, man. And you're every Saturday you're playing against somebody in that locker room, which is always a lot of fun because you're rushing through workouts or rushing through meetings trying to get to get, get to, to watch that game. So I feel you on that, man. When they're when they talk about your alma mater. It's gloves off, bro. It's time to fight, man. And he did. He came at you guys pretty hard. He was just talking about going out to the Palouse and whooping our ass. So I had to I had to get it in there. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned the rivalries in the locker room. And you guys had Raekwon Davis in the podcast a couple weeks back. And I was doing media post-practice one day. And Raekwon's at the podium. And Jalen Phillips is standing off to the side for waiting for his turn to go up. And I was kind of standing in between where they were. They were. And Raekwon, someone asked him a question about the UM versus Alabama opener. And Jalen's over in the corner going, SEC week, SEC week. And Davis is saying, like, it's, I'm, I'm not even going to get, I'm going to get in trouble if I answer you guys. So he kind of passes that thing <laughs> off. But really good back and forth there. I, I love the college rivalry in the NFL locker room. So great oh, stuff. Yeah. You guys can hear I all did too of- until I lost to Twan Russell and had to wear his college jersey out to sure practice did. that time. Looking, looking funny. Looking I funny. I could barely squeeze into that thing. I wasn't even overweight then. Can you tell me some more on that? I want to hear. I, I don't know the story. Oh, well, you know, you certainly could listen to it if you go listen to the <laughs> the Twan Russell episode of the Fish Tank. <laughs> but no, so they, I, I don't even remember the game now. It had to be, it was probably a bowl game or something because at that point they weren't playing a whole lot. And, uh, you know, Twan being a St. Thomas guy, and I went to Piper High School, 
they we gave them a hard time because a lot of the kids, probably including Tuan, should have gone to our school if they had gone to where they were zoned. But they uh, they found their way to St. Thomas, uh, to St. Thomas Aquinas. And I also have to be careful since JT coaches for St. Thomas, so I gotta gotta watch myself here. Uh, but uh, yeah, we had a we had a friend wager. I don't know what would have happened if I won because I certainly didn't have a college jersey <laughs> for him to wear. But if uh, the Hurricanes won, I was going to have to wear his his jersey to practice. And again, as I've said time and time again, as a PR guy, the last thing you want to do is bring attention to yourself. And I lost that bet, and Tuan was insistent upon it. I thought maybe it was just for fun, but he brought that sucker in, and I had to put it on, and I showed up on the practice field with it. And you can imagine that Tuan made sure everybody out there said, you know, it was a hey look at Seth, and uh, it was it was a little humiliating. But I'm trying to remember the year. So would that have, when Tuan was there, would that have been Dave or would that have been Jimmy? Either way, they didn't mind that my Gators lost and I had to go out there and humiliate myself. That's the best kind of bet. Like financial is one thing, but when it has to do with humiliation, that's the way you do it when you make bets yeah. when it comes to sports. So good stuff. Well, I had me tell you what, bet when you win. Yeah, let me tell you what I had to do. Keith Byers, you know, in Ohio State was dominating Penn State like they still are dominating that conference. And he used to make me go out and get – um Kiwi, strawberry, um, lemonade. What do they call that? Um, oh, man. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And the, and I'm the, the, think a blank. Of, yeah, and the thing about it, though, Travis, they weren't just at your local Publix. They weren't just right around the corner. You had to really search. They weren't even that popular back then. You know what I mean? Um, so you had, to, you had to search around South Florida without great internet, without great resources like we have today to figure Snapple. out where they were. Snapple. There it is. Kiwi, <laughs> strawberry, Snapple. And so he had me all over South Florida looking for these things, like every year, because every year they, they kicked our butt. Except for Kajana's year, Kajana's year, he helped, he hooked me up. But man, that was the that was the toughest bet right there. Like you said, anybody in the locker room can pass. You know, it's bet twenty dollars, twenty five dollars, a hundred dollars. That's the easy part. But when the humiliation part, the jerseys, you know, driving all over town, that's that's the problem in the locker room. That's what happens more often than not. Nothing more valuable than your time. That's the biggest thing. That, uh, you know, don't exactly waste right. my time, man. So that's a that's a killer. Especially during training camp, just in training camp. Exactly. I got my revenge one time. They all they became a lot of Gator haters in there, Juice. I don't know why. Maybe I, you know, I don't know. Maybe I was a little bit of an obnoxious Gator fan. It's possible, especially back then. But uh, when it came to Gator hoops, it was another level. I've talked about that on the show. But it was March Madness. It was the year uh, they went to the Final Four with Mike Miller and, uh, you know, who now, of course, everybody in South Florida loves. He helped the Heat win a championship. But uh, they were losing to Baylor, I think. And Zach was downstairs working out. It's March, but Zach, of course, was in the weight room. And he's texting me, and he's giving me a hard time. And at halftime, the Gators are down. And Mike Miller hits this little falling fade into the basket and drops a little teardrop on him to win the game at the end. And I sprinted downstairs and Zach was trying to get out of there. He couldn't get out of there fast enough. He didn't want to, he didn't want to have to pay the piper on that field. That's so good, man. These are the kind of stories you guys can hear on the fish tank again, every single Tuesday on the Miami Dolphins podcast network. I want to go ahead and transition now into the current team because the three of us host a radio show post game and we're having a hell of a time doing it. And now that, the preseason and training camp have both wrapped. I think we're all pretty excited about the upcoming season. Let's go to you here first, Juice. What are some of your initial thoughts on what you saw on the field, both during the preseason and during training camp? I guess through my reports, because I'm the one out here, but what's your takeaway from the preseason so far for the Miami Dolphins? Well, you know what? what the first thing I noticed about our team is team speed. And we are fast on both sides of the football. And, um, you know, you really notice it and you see it on that defensive side. Our DBs are so quick and, you know, they're in your face and impressed and putting their hands on people a lot. 
And, you know, we didn't see X or Byron a lot, you know, during the preseason in terms of games. But, you know, you did see it. And I've read a lot of things that you showed, you know, during your your tweets during during training camp. But to see those guys up in press and to see our backup guys up in press and to see how much depth we have, you know, at that position of the cornerback or nickel or dime. And then to see the solid play we've got from our safeties, you know, with Eric Rowe and then seeing Javon Holland come in and the, the plays that he's making. I just love what I'm seeing on that on that back half. What I didn't see, obviously, is all, how my receivers are going to react when they get a chance because we had a lot of guys out, you know, from Fuller to Devontae to Preston, you know, the Albert. You know, we had a lot of guys that didn't really see a lot of burn. But how about the guys that came in and, and you know, and replaced them and, and how they developed, you know? So from game one to game two of the preseason, was like night and day to me. I thought the first part of game one was great. I thought the whole part of game two was great. Um, but I think, the, you know, bottom line is the depth. So I think what I'm really getting down to, Travis, I'm noticing depth in the skill positions that I love, the DBs and the wide receivers, and they keep stacking them. They got some tough cuts coming up. They really have some tough cuts when it comes to guys that are out there, man, because everybody's playing well. They understand the scheme and they're executing, man. So uh, it's going to be good to see my other guys out there, but the young ballers at wide receiver, very impressive this year. One of my first notes from camp was I, I, I wrote on one of the early podcasts, like, you might have double-digit guys in this receiver's room that wind up taking a snap in the NFL this year, whether it's with the Dolphins sure. or with somebody else. It's a crazy, yeah. crazy deep room. Seth, what do you think, man? What's been your biggest takeaway so far from camp? One of the things I wanted to lead you in here with was I was curious to hear both your guys' take as far as the grind of training camp and if it's a relief, not just for the player, but for the PR angle at the end of camp. Is it a relief or is it still just right into the season and still cranking along? Well, I guess working backwards, as far as it being a relief from the PR angle, in in uh, back in my day, as the old guys <laughs> like to say, Harvey Green did not let us wear shorts on the practice field. So we had to go in full slacks. We did get to wear the collared shirt. In training camp in South Florida in slacks, it just – it was miserable. And every other team, they're showing up, and now they do it. You go out there and see the PR staff, and they're, they look like they could work in the equipment room. They're, they're all geared up. They got the shorts and the sneakers and the whole thing. Harvey wasn't having it, and we would just be an absolute sweaty mess at the end of every – we had to bring two to three because, remember, this was also, right, two-a-days juice, and sometimes well, – I, I wasn't there for the three-a-days, the Coach Shula stuff. But with Jimmy, we had – I don't even know how many two-a-day practices. And so you had to bring two to three hours. Two weeks straight, I think, in pads, Big Seth. 14 days straight in pads. I mean, think about that, Travis. Think about it. I know Drew's has And, and I was looking at a picture the other day online, and this is not for you guys, but for the fans. I didn't know there wasn't a cover over the, the grandstands at the old facility in Davie. Yeah. Like, sitting out there baking in the sun, I'm sitting here wearing my Dolphins team-issued shorts, my T-shirt, and the sneakers, exactly what you talked yeah. about with the get-up, and I get to sit in the shade in my nice little cozy spot. Not that case for you guys. <laughs> No, it didn't happen that way. The media actually was on the field. They'd stand in the end zone and sometimes get around, you know, for drills and what have you to go around the sideline. If the media had to sit in the stands, they actually went nuts. They felt like they were losing um, some sort of exclusive uh, opportunity to be up close. And so now I'm sure they realize, especially those I, I think of, you know, I don't, the Dave Hyde, the Armando's guys who were there when they had to stand out there, they probably are happy to be under the – the, the canopy and the fans blowing on them and so on and so forth. Uh, the ceiling fans, not the, not the dolphin fans <laughs> blowing on them, but uh, in any event. Yeah. So I loved when training camp broke. I like because practices, you know, there were no more two a days. There weren't as many practices. 
And, uh, and we didn't have to be out there for the entire practice because the media couldn't cover the entire practice. And more than anything, Travis, as we talked about in the post game, I just didn't like preseason as much <laughs> yeah. as you do. Here it comes so, again. <laughs> you know, I was ready for games to count. But ha- having going back to what you had asked about my takeaway, sure, thank you. Uh, I, I, Juice is spot on. I mean, I, I agree with everything that he said. I'll go with the with maybe with the easy takeaway. I think, look, everybody around the planet who cares about the National Football League, and particular, uh, particularly those who care about the Miami Dolphins, want to see how Tua was going to develop in year two. All right? And we still don't know, right? That's right. still something that only the season is going to tell us. But boy, he has looked like QB1, uh, literally, so far. This, you know, everybody lost their minds with that first practice and the interceptions, and we found out a little bit more as to why and how he was being coached up and what he was being asked to do by Coach Flores and certainly the weather and the conditions. But ever since then, I think you said at one point he had this streak of no interceptions after how many practices. Uh, I think fans really bought into it after this last preseason game. There was a lot of Tua on the sidelines with his offensive players, coaching them up, getting them excited, celebrating. How great was it to see him celebrate yes. Jacoby Brissett when he walked off? I mean, that tells you the mentorship that that Ryan Fitzpatrick had and, and the way he celebrated Tua when he walked off. And you see that Tua's doing that now, even to a guy who is a more seasoned veteran than Tua even is. You know, he's, he's truly growing into that position. Uh, we're starting to see all of the things that everybody fell in love with when he was at Alabama, and we're seeing those things translate at this stage of the game uh, to to the NFL and to our Miami Dolphins. So um, that's my biggest takeaway. I hope that that will continue, but really building off of what Juice said, I was more than anything wanting to see Tua with the full array of weapons that Chris Greer and Brian Flores brought in here to enhance all of those innate abilities that he has and we've seen some of those things, but man, there's a lot of guys that we just haven't seen perform at all, at least not with Tua. And, and so I am still anxiously awaiting uh, the opportunity to see that develop. And it's a long season, so we'll get a chance to get a look at those guys at some point here along the line. And you know, the longest I'm glad, ever, right? The uh, longest yeah. season in the history of the league. Exactly. There you go. Games. Seventeen games, and on top of three preseason games, and hopefully a playoff push as well. You mentioned the celebration that Tua did on the Jacoby Brissett touchdown. I also wanted to point to the Miles Gaskin touchdown run, where if you look in the backfield. QB1's back there throwing his fist up in the air, just losing his yeah. mind celebrating. I love seeing that from him. And that's a segue into something I wanted to just kind of share, share with you guys. On the August 23rd podcast of Drive Time, I played the audio of Miles Gaskin saying how Tua makes guys want to, you want to make him proud because he's such a good guy and he cares about you and has that loving spirit. And it was a really great sound clip after the game on Saturday night against the Falcons. So I'll highly encourage you guys to go check that out. But after we talk about some good, love you feelings here, I wanted to get to this part because as training camp comes to the end, that means the end of the line for a lot of guys that wind up getting cut, going to the practice squad, going to maybe another roster. Maybe they aren't in the league after that. So I wanted to start with you here, Juice, because you never had to worry about making a team, man. You were a first-round draft pick. But what was the mood like on that cut-down day? Like, that had to have been pretty rough when you know a couple of your buddies might be gone. What was the mood like on cut-down day? Well, I wasn't worried the first year or second year, but then when you get to the Jimmy years and maybe Wednesday years, I was hella worried. I was hella worried at the end of my career. That's for damn sure. And you know what? It's cut down all the time in the NFL. Like every Tuesday seemed like there's somebody out there working out. If you see wide receivers out there working out, like, damn, I thought our group did pretty well last week, you know? (laughs) But I tell you, man, it is, uh, 
you know, and I remember Stu. Stu was like kind of grim reaper for us, you know. <laughs> he was that guy that came to deliver that news, you know, come see coach, bring your playbook kind of guy, you know. Or if you go in there and your <laughs> fold-up chair is folded up and, and your locker is empty, you know, and that's how he kind of played pranks on people too, which wasn't funny. You know, oh, you, you got a guy coming in that's already <laughs> on the bubble and you, he goes there and his equipment's missing, his chair's folded up. You know, that's oh, not a, that's that's not right. That's like it's the movie Major right. League, the, the pink slip yeah. with uh, Charlie Sheen. I'm going to come Bro. back and stick it up your... <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's just not right, man. But it's tough, man, because, you know, most of the time, you know, you've either grinded with some guys for a couple of years, at least since the workout started in March, you know, the, all through the summer, all that tough workout on the field, in the sun, in the weight room. And then next, you know, the blink of an eye, they could be uh, either gone from your team or, you know, hopefully get to the practice squad on your team or be on another team or, like you said, out of the league, period, man. And those are tough deals, man. You do form those bonds and friendships, but it's tough to see a buddy of yours, especially somebody in your position go. But if they go in your position and you're still there, it's, it's, still, yeah. I mean, it's good for you. <laughs> Catch you know, it's right? good for you, uh, even though it's tough for them, man. And like I said, there's going to be some, 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 some tough cuts. But uh, sure. it's hard. It's hard to make friends in the league until you know get the week one. Week one is when you can actually start hanging out <laughs> with people because you know they'll be around for a little while, hopefully. What about you, Seth? From from your PR angle, I know you probably didn't ever. You, you would never act as the Turk, but did you associate with the Turk? And did you ever kind of have to maybe do some of his dirty work as far as talking to a player or anything like that? Fortunately, I didn't have to deal with that. Well, you know what? Let me take a step back. I mean, there are times where guys were cut, and if they were going to be around in some capacity, you, you know, you'd have to talk to them if a member of the media wanted to speak with them. Um, I think we learned – it's funny you brought up Keith Byers. This is a little bit different because I was a veteran player getting cut in the middle of the season. But uh, I, I remember Keith Byers got, got cut. You remember that. Uh, he and Jimmy did not see eye to eye. No. Obviously, Keith still carries that grudge and uh, um, talked about it in our podcast. But but Keith got cut, and he had been a very popular player here, not only with his teammates but also with the media. And Harvey set up a press availability. It was over speakerphone, but he put Keith on with the media, and then Keith just ripped Jimmy to no end. And Harvey realized it's the last time I'll put myself in a position to have, as much as I'm trying to support the media down here, I'm not going to be the guy that throws my boss under the bus. Um, so, you know, those were maybe the memories from a PR standpoint, but two things stand out to me. One in 96, which was my first exposure to it. And especially in a year, you know, training camp in general, there's the roster gets turned and turned over, but especially in a year where a new head coach comes in and a new head coach comes into a veteran heavy team like we were in 96, as Juice knows. There were guys, guys that, you know, Pete Stoyanovic coming back from practice and finding out he had been traded in the middle of practice, um, happened to TK, guys who, you know, Juice calls friends to this day, and and guys that I grew up watching, and now I'm sitting here seeing that happen, plus all of the young guys, and, and Jimmy was just churning that roster. You know, that's what a new coach does. It, it, it's not unique to Jimmy. Um, we saw it here. You know, we saw it here in Coach Flores' first, uh, first season. And I just would see, you know, you'd come in and the guy's locker would be empty. You know, and that's why that prank works so well, Juice, is because the guy's locker literally would be empty. And I remember talking to Zach, and it was probably, I don't know, a couple weeks into training camp. And he was new to it all as well, and you know, because in college nobody was getting cut. And I said, man, do they tell you? Do you know? Do they make an announcement in camp? You know? And he just looked up. He goes, nah, man, they just disappeared. <laughs> And, you know, and Zach said that kind of in that Southern draw, and it was really profound in its simplicity, as I tweeted about something else today. 
Um, and and it, it was like, wow, they, these guys, some of these guys, you've known them for a week and they're just gone. You know, you come in one day and, and at that point it was Tony Eggless and Joey Chimino and Charlie, and now it's Joey and Charlie and the rest of that great crew. And those guys get it taken care of early on. And I think some of it is to, to try and save that player from having to be embarrassed or having to feel shamed and maybe to try and avoid potential conflict. But it, the guys are just gone. They just disappear. And um, I know it's really tough when it's a guy that maybe has battled an injury. You know, Juice, I think of some guys at your position, the Kirby Dardars or the Robert Bakers that had some significant injuries and had great camps and really fought and clawed and you think things are going well and then it just doesn't work out sometimes. And that's tough to see a guy who went through all that. And sometimes there's a veteran who gets caught off guard. Um, so that's that's definitely one of the challenging parts of the sport. But I think guys start to understand that it is also um, it's something that comes with the territory. Yeah, and I'll tell you what else, Travis, along with Seth is saying, man, it's the veteran guys, man. I remember my rookie year when I had no worries and I got my air quotes going here, you know, about getting cut. But then you go out there and you're practicing and you got these older guys that have been around for like five or six years that are just playing their asses off, man, and like really giving you the business. And I'm like, man, bro, we're on the same team. What's going on? You think about it, man. They've got family at home, wife and kids trying to hang into the league. Yep. You know what I mean? And so you get why they're why, where the, where their motivation is, man. You know where some guys are safe. You know there's some other guys that are scratching, clawing to get another year in, to get another two years in. You know to to make a new roster coming from another organization. So, I mean, you it was it was crazy out there to see the whole business part of it. And it's not just about football. It's about you know these guys trying to maintain that livelihood that they you know they started or they're trying to achieve as a family and as a group, man. So, I mean that was the hardest part. I was like. Damn, bro, like, we're on the same team, man. Why are you, like, running me into Seth Levitt over here in the stands at practice, you know? <laughs> you know, and they were like, bro, you know, I got a, I got a wife and kids yeah. at home to feed, you know, and I, you get it. You you get it, man, and you understand their motivation and why they're working so hard. You should be working hard anyways, but sometimes you're like, damn, it's a little extra there, bro, you know, and uh, I get it. That totally reminds me of, of, uh, of something Seth told me a while back about how JT would, you know, depending on who he was going up against in practice, would really crank things up and just trying to get – maybe if a guy wasn't clicking right away, trying to really turn the gears and, hey, bro, we got to yeah. get going, man. you got the Patriots coming to town in a couple of weeks. Like, you got to get ready for this or otherwise you're not going to be here for long. And so that was something I thought of. But I also thought about when you guys were telling those stories about the Vontae Davis trade back on Hard Knocks in 2012 when he was just – you could see it on his face, like, wait, because I'm thinking, like, back then it's like you trade teams, it's not a big deal, you go to a new city, but now I'm thinking about the move I made down here, like, there is so much that goes into moving that, like, it's a whirlwind, I'm sure, that goes to these players' minds, and especially a player like Avante Davis, who was a first-round pick just a few years prior and was showing some promise and some upward trajectory in his career, would wind up going on to be a, a Pro Bowl cornerback, but like you guys said, it happens in a flash, and that guy's out of there, and it's it's tough decisions, and it's tough around this time of year. I'm sure all the coaches will talk about how much they hate those decisions and those moments and having to make those calls and talk to those guys, so that's kind of a... A, a long-winded segue into a segment. I want to talk some receiver play with you here, Juice and Seth. We'll get you in as well, but I, I want to go to the expert here a little bit since we I was do have. Say he's probably got a little bit more. Uh, <laughs> we got one of the all-time greats in here. We get, we're going we're yeah, to use that. We're going to use it to our advantage, and we should probably, you know, just get to OJ's take on this because a bit of a working theory that I have, and it's something I kind of borrowed from the Move the Sticks podcast, one of my favorite podcasts with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks, and they talked about in college ball how today. 
<clears throat> excuse me, there are so many five-star programs that are, are these blue blood programs that have so many five-star receivers that you can almost do these like hockey line changes where it's like four guys in, run these gassers, run these four verts and tire out these DBs. We'll get another line in here that stays fresh. Do you think something like that could happen in the NFL, OJ, where you have this ridiculous depth at the receiver position and you can just continue to utilize guys and keep everybody fresh? Is that possible? It's kind of possible. The biggest problem you're going to run into is a 47 man on game day. Exactly. You know, you'd love to have six, seven receivers out there. I, mean, I know we went into Denver uh, knowing that we're going to have some problems with the receivers and altitude and, and you know, in, in terms of, um, you know, being able to, to breathe in that air. And so we went in there with a couple of extra receivers just because we knew we were going to rotate them in. We have that type of depth on this team, but you got to look at it. Everything that plays a part in this is always going to be the injury in certain, you know, uh, a certain position. Say our D lines down a few guys, you got to dress a couple guys out. Whereas you know you won't be able to, to use that 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 hockey line of, of rotation with wide receivers, even though I would love it. And we got some guys, obviously, we've seen that can go in there. We could probably go into a game with eight receivers, but they're probably going to end up going with four or five, maybe. You know, and then counter tight ends possibly as a receiver. So it's going to be a tough deal. But the thing about it is, man, is like. Um, you know, just that number, 47. I think that, honestly, you should be able to dress at least 53 out. You can hold 53, keep a bigger roster, you know, and, and work out that way, man. But that 47 prevents you from bringing eight receivers out there, even though eight guys probably deserve to be out there. Well, I want to stay in that lane and talking about the previous question where I you know, said you were safe pretty much every year of your career, even though you said that later on you, you maybe didn't think the same way with Jimmy got here. But uh, you know, talking about a first-round pick at the receiver I'm position. I'm still not safe from Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> Stay away. The Hall of Famer, Jimmy Johnson. Got to keep an eye out for him. But we talked about you and I through text list last week about receiver releases, and you gave me some great notes on a, a Jamar Chase release I wanted to ask you about. I was just kind of curious about the move and, and what you thought of it. And so I wanted to ask you about Jalen Waddell and his release game, because that's one of the things that I look at with his skill set that really, you know, that makes him a sixth pick in the draft, that makes him go up that high off the board. When you watch him work at the line, first of all, what, like, is there a baseline type of release that you're trying to look for from most guys? And if, if so, or if not, how does Jalen kind of fit that mold for you? Yeah, it depends on the guy. You know, there's some guys like a Rondé Gaston who just power released, you know, didn't try to make anybody miss. You put, try to put my, your hands on him, he's just going to run through you, use that, you know, type of guy. Guys like Jalen, they count on the quickness because, you know, as a receiver, you, the last thing you want is for a DB to get his hands on you. That's the last thing you want. And the first thing you want to do is, you know, figure out leverage. You know, Coach Ford, one of the greatest wide receiver coaches I've ever played for, probably the greatest I've played for, you know, he always said there's always at least two set of, set of eyes looking at a, at, a, at a wide receiver, the guy that's guarding you and his help. So you got to look through your guy and see where the help is. And so usually the guy in front of you will tell you where your help is by his alignment. He's hard inside. You know what I mean? If he's hard inside and you're an outside receiver, then you know that he's, his help's in the middle. Some playing some type of cover one. You know, or if, he, you know, if he's hard outside, then you know his help's going to be inside, usually a safety or maybe even a linebacker. So no matter what, with Waddle, what I love about him is he's so good at threatening what they're trying to take away. As a receiver, you have to threaten what they're trying to take away because if you just give a free release to where they're, they want you to go, then you play into their hand. So if he's got hard outside, you got to threaten outside first to widen and then get up the field. If he's hard inside, you got to threaten inside and then go. I think Waller does a great job of that, and he does a great job of making sure they don't put their hands on it. So his feet are so quick. You know, you hard inside, he'll threaten hard inside, and then he, boom, he's gone. Now you're playing catch-up and hope your help can get there to help you out. You know, so we were watching a little bit of Jamar Chase, and he had a goal line route that we were talking about. Goal line, you have a lot more time than you think. 
you know, he really rushed that route where he could really set it up and maybe make the guy think you're going outside, even though he's running a fade there. I mean, make you think you're going inside, uh, but he just kind of just ran straight to it. Perfect ball, you know, great coverage, but it could have been a lot easier. I thought Kirk Merrick did a great job the other day on his setup of his fade route. I thought he set the DB up really good, and then he burst and the ball was on time, you know, and the DB had zero chance. So I think that's the key, man. Knowing what their leverage is, knowing where their help is, seeing where they're trying to take away, and use that equipment to keep their hands off of you. Last thing you want is a receiver, somebody to put their hands on you. And I thought, I think Jalen Wall does a great job of that. That right there is why we do the crossword podcast here. We, we try to do as much analysis as we can on, or analysis on this podcast as we can, but you're not going to top that right there, Seth. And, you know, talking about OJ and, and the toughest player that Dan Marino ever played with and, you know, his release game and how much goes into it, I, I would venture to guess the word diva probably doesn't circulate very much around number 81. But maybe OJ can tell me too, but Seth, was there a receiver that you ever were around that was just fit the mold of diva receiver that you can think of? Oh man, now you're you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> yeah, gotta um, do it. I mean, I was around receivers, so the answer is yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, look, and, and OJ is is a guy who does the dirty work and he works hard and he demands the best out of his teammates and he plays hard and he's physical and all of those things. But OJ still liked to look clean. OJ, <laughs> you know, go talk to the equipment the managers right? about. Man, those guys like to see what they look like in front of the mirror. And the towel had to be a certain length, and the t- you know uh, uh, the gloves, and they had to ma- and you know we had Preston. Well, we haven't had the episode yet, but right, Preston Williams talked about um, you know, hey, sometimes yeah, I'm just willing to take the fine, man. I know Joe says we got to wear the blue socks, but I want to wear the all white. So what? And it's just you know the receivers just look at it a little bit differently, and, and you know Juice could probably explain why more than I can. I'm just telling you it's a thing. Now there <laughs> there have been the guys that you know Diva also is oftentimes associated with attitudes and and things of that nature. We were really lucky, especially the years I was there, Juice. We had just such a great locker room from top to bottom. There's occasionally a couple guys who were jerks, but they really were few and far between. We were very blessed to have a great locker room. Um, you know, probably didn't have enough. I, Juice probably would have liked a little more help in that wide receiver room. So that might be part of it too. <laughs> sometimes the guys, sometimes the guys who are going to make more catches and get more, you know, get more yards and 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 more guys like Juice who are going to get the the hundred catches and score all the touchdowns. Sometimes you get a little bit more diva that comes with that as well. <laughs> but that's the trade off you're willing to make. OJ, I mean, uh, the look good, play good, feel good, right? That's how it goes. We talked about the All earrings day. in the post-game show the other day, and you were talking about wearing the earrings. We were talking about the uh, Savannah, or not, Miles Gaskins chain and Matt Collins fetching it for him. I mean, look good, feel good, play good, right? Yeah, man, it's bottom line. If, if you don't feel good from the beginning, then it's, it's going to be a long day. It really is, man. I used to lay my uniform completely yes. out on the ground from head to toe. You know, if it, if it didn't look right right there, I had to cut my socks perfect. Get back to I had, you know, I brought some stuff from home. It wasn't even team issues I had to wear. <laughs> if it wasn't looking right, it was going to be a rough one. And you know the toughest time with the uniform game was when you went on the road and you had to wear, like, warm stuff. Like, man, you felt bulky. You know, you got this long undershirt underneath. Cause I always wore a long undershirt no matter what. You wore the long sleeves, too. Long sleeves all the time man especially if we're playing on turf it can be 95 degrees this turf out there i'm not i'm not the guy that's gonna get that turf burn <laughs> take that shower afterwards no nah, it doesn't work for me like that you know but i'm telling you man laying that uniform out and seeing how it's going to fit 
You know what I mean? Make sure my shoes are right from the Friday practice. I tape them up so they don't get too dirty, but they're loosened up a little bit. You know, all that stuff plays a part in getting ready for Sunday or Monday or whatever day the game is being played. And it's just a certain pride about. I seen some sloppy guys in my position. I got I got to check them. Man. I said, man, we can't we can't go out there looking like this, man. You know what I mean? Your jersey looks bad. Your pants are baggy. You know, it's got to be. And everything's tailored, Travis. You know, everything you want is tailored to however you want it. Pant size. You can have them above the knees, below the knee. Jersey's all tailored. So there's no excuse to go out there looking sloppy. We have some guys going out there looking sloppy. And that's why their play was sloppy at times, in my opinion. If you, if you don't dress the part, you're not going to be able to play the part. You know, and yeah. so I made sure I dressed the part. You know, going to the game, it starts at home. You know, your suit, your suit game's got to be nice. <laughs> if it's a home game, your two-piece outfit has to be nice. You know, you got to, your car's got to be detailed be coming it. in. Everything's got to start off at home, you know, especially on home games. The drive up's got to be, the music's got to be, everything has got to be right, you know. And so that's that's the part of the deal. We've seen some other guys, you know, some big linemen come in, pick up trucks, you know, some jeans and, you know, <laughs> you know whatever kind of shirt, you know, some raggedy T-shirt. You know, they, they got a different mindset than we have. You know, we got to make sure from the beginning, from the, from the beginning we wake up until after that last whistle, that we're looking good and looking the part. I'm over here talking about how it starts at the line of scrimmage. It starts in the in the driveway, the closet, even before all that stuff. No it's, question. Oh, no, it's laid out the night before, bro. That suit is laid out the night before. Like you know, my like you know, I know Seth was talking about Tony Eggwes and how we have the uh, you know the, the tailors in there. Man, that's where it all starts. It starts with that first tailor, and then you start thinking, okay, I'm wearing this for New England week. I'm wearing this one for Buffalo week. <laughs> I'm wearing this one for the Jets week. <laughs> You know, if you're, they're looking you're at fabric, yeah, you're right? They're pulling out the fabric, and then if you commit to a suit, then that guy's got to take that fabric off the market. Like, that right. can't you can't bring that fabric fabric back into the, the locker room because the last thing you want to do is walk in there and, and you and Larry Chester have the yeah. same suit yeah, on. No twinsies. Got to be original. <laughs> exactly. Guys, yeah. we got about – And then, Charles, a... I handled the photographs back, back then before things were the way they were now. So I would bring the photos after the games, and the guys, we'd have to pick their two-ups. Remember that, Drew? Yep. So, no, I can't. Well, what's wrong? This is a great action shot of you. Man, look at, look at my pants, man. They, you know, they're not, they're not they're too low or they're too high. And, yeah, the receivers, it was a handful. No question. I remember Mac Hollins the other day, he, he cuts up the bottom of his shirt. I don't know the, the style of it, but he cuts up the bottom so it kind of frays. And he, he said, somebody asked him why he does that. And he said, well, if my shirt falls off, I know that one's mine. So a good little joke there by Mac. But Mac. guys, yeah, we got about. He said it made him look faster, too. They, I, I, think he did, I think he did say that. It kind of blows in the wind with the hair, and he's got the whole thing right. going. But guys, we got about 10 minutes left. I want to get to one more segment here before we promote the podcast and get out. But um, storylines for the season. You know, we talked about doing the preseason, the postgame show, all that fun stuff. But let's go to you first here, Seth. What's your top storyline? And maybe this is the same thing you talked about, the development of Tua Tungavailoa. And it can be, if it is, if you want to do it quickly here, your top storyline for the Dolphins in 2021. Yeah, I think it really is. I mean, look, this is a quarterback-driven league. You've heard Coach Flores say, this is a passing league. Why do you keep getting corners? It's a passing league, and i got to stop passers. And so, you know, we, we used the, the number five overall pick for Tua, and uh, I think the excitement that is surrounding this season as it relates to Tua is warranted. We love what we've seen in camp, but it needs to translate into the regular season. So that's the storyline. How does Tua continue to develop on the field as a leader, and will the weapons that we invested in, both in the draft and in free agency, help him take that next step? OJ, what do you think? What's your storyline for 2021? Well, I think, man, I, I think our storyline is this, man. We've we've gotten, you know, close to the playoffs last year. Year before it was a rough start. Coach Flo's first year, 
I think now it's time to start off uh, doing what we're supposed to do in September. Getting September off to the right track is, is huge for us, man. You know, we've had a, a rough September the last couple of years. And you think about it, when you open up at New England and then Buffalo at home, division right away. Division is the most important thing. You know, you have to go four and two in your division. If you can get to five and one in your division, it's outstanding. Six and zero obviously is the best. But if you can get to four and two in your division, it, it really starts at home. So in order to get to four and two, you got to go, you got to win all your games at home and you got to still a couple on the road in your division. So I think it, it starts off right away. Catch New England early um, would be, be a good start, but then you got to get Buffalo at home in our weather. A one o'clock game here, you know, that, that's, that's critical. So I think the storyline really starts off. If we can get off to a great start, Travis, I think the rest will take care of itself. We've been a, we've shown that we're a good team that can finish. Obviously, last year's final game wasn't very good, but, you know, the last couple of months of the season were, were really good for us. So get off to a great start, and then you get that momentum. And, you know, one thing about it, man, another thing about Coach Ford is he said they only remember what you do in December, <laughs> you know. And so that's when it gets down to crunch time, you know, trying to make that playoff push or try to get home field advantage or win your division, you know. So we can go do great in September, and they remember what we do in December – that puts together a hell of a season for that's that's been a uh, one of the staples of the early tenure here of Brian Flores and Josh Boyer as they always say we want to be a, a different team in December a better team in December than we were back in September and that was going to be what I went towards but I think my my storyline since you guys talked about the quarterback and the fast start and hopefully getting some of these preseason reps and success here in training camp will help accelerate a fast start but I think it's the defense taking another step which it might sound crazy because first in takeaways, first and third down defense, number six in scoring, and was number one before that last game in Buffalo. But that's where I'm kind of going to kind of go here. You make additions like a Jalen Phillips. I think he's he's got the, all the tools to be a fantastic pass rusher off the edge and play going backwards and against the run. I think Adam Butler's addition really helps amplify what this rush scheme can be with his quickness and power off that front. Bernardrick McKinney, a, a really good blitzing linebacker. Javon Holland, an absolute ball hawk with the fourth most interceptions in his two years of college between 18 and 19 of anybody in the country. I think it can take another step. And if they do that and can start to really put the clamps on the, you know, they got three picks off Patrick Mahomes, so I'm not going to say him, but put the clamps on a Josh Allen and really go to another level. To me, that's going to be a big, big storyline for this season. If they can do it, we're going to have a lot of fun out there at Hard Rock Stadium. Speaking of having fun, the Fish Tank podcast every single Tuesday, we're, I said we're taping this a little bit early. Seth, what's coming down the pike here on the Fish Tank Podcast? It's the 23rd today. You guys have a new episode coming out tomorrow, right? And then another one the following Tuesday. Correct. Yeah. So uh, very excited to announce that Shannon Crowder is yes. making a glorious return yes. to the tank. We know that people have been asking about it since we had the double episode. You know, Shannon gave us so much we had to break him into two episodes. <laughs> but he'll make his third appearance and uh, Channing does not disappoint. And then we've just got a great lineup um, and, and still working on some more episodes. I'm not exactly sure who's going to follow Channing, but Jeff Darlington from ESPN dove back in. Wes Welker dove in. Uh, Irving Fryer talk about great receivers who helped mentor Juice, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, and Preston Williams. So we have another active player. So there's, there's a lot of guys that uh, are going to be diving back in, and we're just looking forward to a great season with amazing stories and a few laughs yep always well i appreciate you guys' time today on the podcast we went a little bit long but that's what we do here because it's so much fun talking Certainly to you guys we do <laughs> got, got some analysis we got some stories from the fish tank the, the 90s and the early 2000s oj mcduffie is at oj mcduffie 81 on twitter at team levitt on twitter seth 
One team. Yeah, the team love it, but you know, as long as you're hitting up at the Fish Tank eighty one, then we're good. <laughs> then we're good. Also, check the podcast out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from. The Fish Tank every single Tuesday, they do fantastic stuff. It's a must listen for all Dolphins fans. Seth, OJ, I appreciate your guys' time today, guys. It was it was great to talk to you, and uh, we'll talk to you again here shortly for a post game show. Thanks, Travis. We're going to have to do that more because that's a lot of fun having Seth and OJ here on the Drive Time Podcast. Let's go ahead and wrap it up right there. Caroline, Daddy is coming home. In the meantime, you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can give me a follow on Twitter. It's at WingfieldNFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast right there with Seth and OJ. And, of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up.